were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be courageous. We were made to be courageous. We were warriors on the front lines, standing unafraid. But now we're watchers on the sidelines, while our families slip away. Where are you men of courage? You were made for so much more. Good morning, Woodland Park Church of the Nazarene. How are you this morning? Good? I got a great. I got a good. Anybody better than that? Blessed. I like that. That's good. We are glad you are here today. Today is a very special Sunday, as always, because we're here for Jesus, right? We're excited about that. So we are going to begin the service by worshiping him. Would you stand with me? As we welcome him in this morning, let's just welcome the Holy Spirit here today. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? We thank you so much for your presence here. We pray that your Holy Spirit is welcome in this place. I pray that you will calm our hearts from our week, that you'll slow down our busy minds, Lord, and that we'll be able to focus on you and just give you our hearts this morning as we praise you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Let's sing together. I've got joy in the struggle. I've got peace in the storm. I've got strength in the battle. I don't fear anymore. Cause I've got Jesus
morning. You may be seated. So I'm back here all singing. I've got joy. Are you guys this morning? Are you happy to be here worshiping? We are. Welcome to Woodland Park Church of the Nazarene. And Pastor Dale and I are so excited to be. Is he back there behind us? Oh, there he is. We are so excited to be here this morning. And you're here for a special day because this is um, Installation Sunday. And we have been here about a month trying to get settled. See, I'm already out of breath running up here. And so, <laughs> but anyway, we're so glad that you're here. This is your first time here. Hey, we're all new, too. Us, too, right? We um, have a handout and a card that you may have gotten as you come in. And if you can just take a look at that to check it, not during the service, though, okay? Pay attention. But there's a card in there. And we would love for you to fill that out and let us know that this is your first time here. Come and talk to us. We would love to meet you. And we want to make sure to connect with you. And actually, any of you here, if you're not getting information, then we probably don't have it. Well, we don't have it correct. So fill out a card and get that turned in so we can get connected up with you. Um, that's really important to us around here. We're going to make that continue to be more important, learning how to connect and engage with one another. Amen? Are we excited about that? All right. Ladies, I'm super, super excited about Friday night. So Friday night is going to be a time for us to gather up. Ladies from, I mean, high school age all the way up, I want to hang out with you. So we're going to meet right here in the cafe. We're going to have some fun food. So bring something that you enjoy to share. We're going to just hang out, play some games. I'm going to get a chance to get to know you, and you get a chance to get to know me. We're going to talk about ministry to women. We're going to talk about the district um, retreats that we're going to go to. And then what's to come. And my vision for women, and I'm so excited. So I hope you will be here Friday night. Ladies, are you coming? Bring a friend. Bring a friend. It's a great time to introduce and get to know one another. We are going to break down barriers, and we're going to start fresh. And it's going to be so exciting. I can't wait. So here we go. So, guys, Friday night is fast food night. <laughs> oh, 6.30. 6.30 over here in the cafe. Sorry. Well, we are glad that you're here, and um, in a moment, we're going to call the ushers forward. We're going to go into a time of giving, but while we're preparing for that, I want to tell you um, something that happened yesterday. Yesterday, um, in a very real and dynamic way, um, I got paid. Let me tell you what that means. So 26 years ago now, maybe 27, when we went into ministry, our very first assignment was uh, in youth ministry, and... Uh, we fell over, into, you know, over our feet, heads deep into, into ministry with teenagers, and we loved every minute of it. And um, uh, yesterday, one of, our, one of our students who graduated several years ago, she's a little older now, but she finally found the love of her life and, and got married, and that's not the big story. Um, the big story is that, that we were there, and we didn't hardly know a lot of people. But there were six or seven students from our youth ministry that are still active in their church, still serving Jesus, still doing the things that God has called them to do. And that was so inspiring for me as a, as a former youth pastor. And as I was thinking about our church this morning, and ushers, would you make your way up now, if you would, um, it just inspired me to, to talk and mention just briefly about, again, why we give generously, why we give um, sacrificially. It's so that the kingdom of God is perpetuated generation after generation after generation after generation. Now, now God doesn't need your money, but the church operates on, on American currency here in America. And so as you are preparing to give, we're going to pray in just a moment, 
would you just consider um, supporting the ministry of the Church of the Nazarene through the Woodland Park Church of the Nazarene? Um, we are in 165 or 166 world areas worldwide. Um, we're a missional church. Uh, we believe in the gospel to go all over the world, not just here in Woodland Park, but certainly in, world, in Woodland Park. And so uh, your financial gifts, your giving supports the ministry of that. And so those of you who give, thank you. Those of you who have yet to step on that, um, let, me, let me challenge you. You cannot outgive God. I promise. I promise you. So let's pray. And then there, there are ways to give on the screen. You can, you can look at those as we, as we get ready to give. Father God, we thank you for today. What a special day in uh, the life of the church, certainly in the life of Michelle and I and, and our family. I'm grateful for your presence in this place. We ask, oh God, that as we prepare our hearts and prepare our, our gift to you, that you would receive it. You ask so little of us in return for all that you give us. And so God, help us to be faithful in that. Um, and as we do give, as we release our resources to you via the church, would you take that money, whether it's a lot or a little, it makes no difference to you, would you take it and multiply it and move it all over the world to the darkest corners where your hope is yet to reach as people are struggling and needing um, to hear from you would you would you would you send us send our money to those places be with those of us here in Woodland Park who are on the on the edge of ministry to our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers, those who do not yet know you, may we always have an ear and a heart open and listening for when we can be your servant and be instrumental in reaching the needs of those in our community as well. We love you. We want to serve you all of our days. And we give this moment to you as we give back to you. In the name of Christ, we pray. And all God's children said, amen, amen. we get ready to continue our time of singing praises to Jesus and worshiping, I would like to make sure the kids know that Miss Sharon's back there waiting on you guys. And she is going to take our kids back to learn about Jesus. I see you guys later. Bye. <laughs> so neat to see them going back there. And after hearing Pastor Dale and Michelle's testimony of the kids that they were with as youth and now they're seeing them as adults serve Jesus and one of them, I don't want to steal the thunder on it, but Pastor Michelle shared with me that one of them said he didn't believe in God when he was in their ministry and they kept praying for him and ten years later he called them and said, guess what? I believe in Jesus. That's just what it's about. So pray for those little ones because it matters. Let's continue to worship together. Would you stand with me as we step into the throne room and worship Jesus?
and yet you still want to be one-on-one with us. Lord, I'm thankful for your presence here this morning. We welcome you in more and more, Jesus. Lord, I pray that our offering of praise this morning was pleasing to you. And Lord, I thank you for giving us a song to sing to you, Jesus. Father and Holy Spirit, how wonderful it is to come into your presence. I pray as we continue this service, Lord, that you will not only be with us, but you'll speak to us individually as Dr. Askring comes and he gets ready to give us your word. Lord Jesus, it's so precious that we have that, that we can freely come in here and worship you and learn about you, Lord. So anoint him. Anoint him freshly, Jesus, and pour through him, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing in all of us. And you know right where we're at. So thank you for meeting us here, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, we pray. Well, it is my privilege to be here this morning. Uh, I got to tell you, I don't know if you all know, but this is my home church. And uh, so, yeah, how about that? And, uh, and I think there are new faces every time I come. That tells you how frequently I get here. One of those new faces this time is your pastor. And I think that's great, don't you? I'm thrilled. And we want to take some moments this morning and, uh, and just spend them together in a, in a serv- service of installation, a ceremony of installation. Some asked me, you know, what exactly is this whole installation thing? And it really, it's, as, it's simply just bringing the pastor and people together. And your new pastor is going to share some commitments with you. You're going to be making some commitments to him and together we're going to glorify the Lord Jesus and build the kingdom. Don't you like that? I think that's great. So I'm going to invite Pastor uh, Michelle and Pastor Dale to come. And you'll need that. You have that microphone? You'll find one? Okay. They wired me for sound, so I know. <laughs> that is a scary thing, as you all are about to find out. I'll tell you what. Why don't you stand for the first part of this? For 20 centuries now, in every generation, the church has set aside some of her members for special training and preparation, ordaining them to serve as clergy. She selects them to positions of responsibility, not privilege. They are to serve the needs of the church. These ministers give up their lives, so to speak, for their lives are not their own. They serve if and when, and where, and in the capacities that the church invites them to serve. They are the servants of God. The early church referred to them by words which meant the table waiter, or the under rower, that is the oarsman of a large ship, slave, priestly servant, and shepherd. Today, the minister is seen as pastor, leader, and the one who casts vision. The church ordains only those whom it believes God has called into such service. Pastor, will you accept the charge to be the spiritual leader of this flock? I will. Congregation, I'm going to ask you a series of questions or statements. If you would respond by saying we will, I'd appreciate that. 
Will you, the members of this church, accept, support, and uphold your pastor as he leads you? Will you affirm that you believe that this pastor and this church are to be workers together in the providence of God? Will you support this pastor with respect, loyalty, love, and fervent prayer? We receive the pastor's family as members of our family of faith and love and pray for them as our own. Will you give sacrificially of your means so that this pastor can be relieved of the temporal cares of this life and thus be able to give full attention to prayer and ministry of the word? Will you respond to pastoral leadership by vigorous participation in the congregational life of this church as it carries out its mission of worship, evangelism, education, and fellowship. Thank you. You may be seated. Pastor, I want to invite you to share your commitment with your new congregation. I'll try and read this. It's a big deal to me. It's Michelle. I pledge to you a stewardship of the pastoral resources I have and covenant with you to make ours a living, efficient church. Church in which sermon and sacrament are based strongly on the word and vitalized with the dynamic presence of the Holy Spirit. A church with the atmospheric expectation of conversions, new life. A church where the particular consolations of God are given to the afflicted, those in the margins. A church where Christian men and women begin, even on earth, to be an authentic Christian community. On earth as it is in heaven. And a church which constantly witnesses to the whole world with sacrifice in its heart and conquest in its purpose. A church where the redeemed are enabled to see their larger need of Christ in cleansing fullness. I pledge to you a stewardship of my responsibilities as a pastor to live before you with integrity and Christian simplicity, to live responsibly my roles as husband and father, giving to my family the care and love due them as gifts of God to me, to responsibly administer the affairs of the church in consultation and cooperation with the church, the board, the staff, and the people of the congregation as we carry out the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ, to lead you in worship as a worshiping leader, developing a careful regimen of study, prayer, reflection, and preparation for the purposes of personal growth and ministry. You know, this may be my job, but I'm accountable to the king. To encourage you, comfort you, instruct and challenge you by the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. To seek always and in all appropriate ways to expand the borders of the kingdom of God, cooperating with our district and general church of the Nazarene, fulfilling a worldwide agenda. To listen carefully to you. Care deeply for you. Work closely with you and pray daily for you that we may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. 
to be a servant leader after the example of Christ. Pastor, having committed yourself to this work, I charge you to care alike for the young and the old, the strong and weak, the rich and the poor, and by your words and by your life, proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Congregation, since you have willingly and prayerfully called your pastor to work among you, I charge you to willingly and prayerfully support, cooperate, and work together with him in the name of Jesus Christ, whom we both serve. I want to invite the board to come. I know some of them may be out doing other things, in the, but I see. J I know Jane's here for sure. And good, Lori's here. Any other board members with us this morning? Why don't you come, Pastor Ryan and Michelle? Step out just a little bit, board. I'm going to let you surround them. <laughs> we got a quorum. <laughs> oh, we're all here. Great. And, and I, I never know, you know, from town to town what the status of COVID is. But if you're feeling, if you're feeling extra adventurous today, put a hand on their shoulder. Draw up there and let's pray together. Our most gracious Heavenly Father. We just want you to know this morning how grateful we are for the church. How thankful we are. For the Lord Jesus and how grateful we are when you bring a pastor and people together and so father this morning we we come humbly we come encouraged we come excited for the future as we commit our pastor and pastor Michelle to you and Lord we not only commit them to you but we commit ourselves to you also that together we would do a great work in this place. And Father, we pray just right now for, for the city of Woodland Park and the surrounding communities, for Teller County. And we pray that this church would be a light in dark places. We pray that many would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We pray, Father, that we would have the opportunity to see folks grow up in their faith. And that we would celebrate continually, day after day, the goodness of God. Not because of us, but because of Jesus working in and through us. And so, Lord, as we move from this moment, we recognize that, again, you've done that miracle of bringing a pastor and people together. And now may the miracle go on from this moment, from this place, to make a difference in the kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you let your pastor and wife know how much you appreciate them? Stay there. Stay there. And I believe that uh, Scott, there's the microphone, Scott, has a special presentation. Are we there yet? All right. So I've had the privilege and the agony of coming up before you for the last year and a half or so and giving a status report of the search for a new pastor. But our history goes beyond that 
in the rears. Uh, we didn't just have a long and arduous Brian thank you. Brian left the board. No, with great, with great honors, he left the board. But he should certainly have been here also to, to bless this new pastor because he did the hard work. Um, and we had to report the ups and downs of this search. And they were numerous. And they were sometimes threatening. Let's put it that way. That's a, that's a good way to say. And we got some bumps and bruises along the way, didn't we? But before that, <clears throat> the congregation, you, went through a whole lot also. Before we got on our last search, we had some curves in the road. We had some bumps in the road. And to use a naval term or a naval phrase, in the words of my brother, you never want to be caught up a polluted tributary with, without visible means of propulsion. And I think we all felt like there were times where we were up a polluted creek and we had no visible means of propulsion. But it started last year when we began that search and there was, there was some hard work being done by the congregation about who we were going to be. And we thought that it was representative of the battle that we went through and the propulsion that we found in the Lord to continue. And as, a, as an emblem of the hard work that all of us did, that all of our congregation did, we wanted to be able to pass along a commitment in the, in the sign of a memori uh, memorial, so to speak, of that effort, we made a decision that we were going to pull together and that we were going to pass on an emblem of that pulling together to the new pastors. And we certainly appreciate you being here. And I have it on good authority that there's probably somebody around that can put that where you want it. Hey, watch yourself now. If you want to put it in your office or in your home or rather not be the trash but but this thing has some scars it has a few bumps and a few imperfections because it's been around and it did the hard work and we want you to know that we want to continue to do do the hard work pulling together all on a single oar getting where the lord and you expect us to be we thank you I don't know what you're going to do with it. Yeah, I'll tell you what I'll do with it. So in, in my... So, so two, two quick things. Would it, is, would it be inappropriate if, there's no, if, if someone has not signed this yet to be able to sign it today? All right. So we'll, we'll figure that out at lunch. In, in my office, I have um, two symbols, now three. That, that will consistently remind me um, of you. Um, one is, is, a, is, a, is a little statue of Jesus calling Peter to become a fisher of men. And then there's a towel that I received when I was ordained to remind me that my primary role is to care for sheep and to wash feet. And now I'll add this to my, to my corner of, of memories to remind me we, we, all, we, right? We're in this together. 
But God has called us. He's given us a commission. He's given us some marching orders, some rowing orders. So thank you for this. It will go in my, my treasure. And we, um, we hope, we pray that we'll live up to that expectation. So God bless you. Thank you for, uh, for being here today. On Installation Sunday, I uh, typically wouldn't come let the pastor know and look forward to having him preach, but I'm always able to, and uh, he asked me to preach. I thought, oh, man, this is a great opportunity. I don't want to miss this chance. So um, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 27? Acts chapter 27. About 12 years ago, I guess it's getting closer to 13 years ago, Judy and I had, not, Judy and I had a chance to take a sabbatical. And as a part of that sabbatical, we went to the seven churches of Revelation in the country of Turkey. And uh, then uh, after at the end of that, we did a three-day cruise uh, across the waters there. And then we were, uh, the cruise finally stopped to the island of Crete and Patmos and uh, Cyprus and then ended up in Greece. And then we did the second missionary journey of Paul. Well, today we're going to talk about Paul and his journey across those same waters However, he did not get to enjoy a Middle Eastern buffet every night and did not have the deluxe accommodations that we had, but he may have had a better story to tell. So in Acts chapter 27, Acts chapter 27, Paul had shared his, I'm going to take someone's you know, I like the little table, but it was just too low. And, and uh, you know, it's my, I'm just giving a moment of confession here. And I like the pulpit, but it's not big enough. I'm starting to sound like, <laughs> wow, I'm starting to get picky. <laughs> but uh, it's great. It's great. Paul had uh, shared his conversion with King Agrippa, and it was determined that because Paul was a Roman citizen, that uh, he should be heard before Caesar. So the decision was made to send him to Rome, where his fate would be decided. We get to Acts chapter 27. And in Acts chapter 27, we find out that Paul is still a prisoner. He's put with other prisoners who are awaiting transport to Rome, and he has been put in the care of a centurion by the name of Julius. So we have a, we have a boat, and we have, or a ship, depending on who you are, I guess, and we have a, a captain, we have a crew, we have prisoners, we have a centurion, we have some military staff that are supposed to keep order with the prisoners. And then we have Paul, and we also have a guy by the name of Aristarchus, who was a Macedonian from Thessalonica. We really don't know much more about him, but, but he's there. They load up the boat and all that they needed, and they left Sidon. It's a temperamental time of year, and they, to sail the waters, they put to sea, and they find that the winds are against them. So they travel to the leeward side of Cyprus. Finally crossing open ocean, they go along the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia and arrive in Lycia and Myra. At this point, they transfer, and they find another ship, and so Julius finds a ship that has left Alexandria in Egypt and is headed for Italy. Rome, and they transferred, and their new ship began to face new difficulties. No wind. 
So they putter along off the coast of Snidus. There they changed course, and they found the wind. They made some distance traveling off the leeward side of the island of Crete. They sail along, traveling along, until they come to Fair Havens. Now, Fair Havens sounds to me like a retirement resort, doesn't it? I'll bet there was a golf course at Fair Havens. And there probably was a Middle Eastern buffet at Fair Havens. And you pay monthly dues, but that's okay because they wash your windows and mow your yard. They sweep up the curb. Everything's just perfect in Fair Havens. Well, it's near the city of Lycia, and they rest there. It had already been quite a journey, and Paul recognized that this was not a good time of year to make the remainder of the journey. And so he warned the captain and the crew and the centurion and anyone who would listen. He tells them that the journey is treacherous and that there's a potential loss of cargo and lives. And no one cared a bit. They wanted to get there, and so they determined to set out, hoping to harbor in Phoenix, a harbor in Crete. And there they would spend the winter. At first, everything was great. There was a gentle south wind that was blowing along. But soon that was all changed and the storm is swooping up around them and they are being driven by the wind. They find a place to secure the ship off the island of Kata. And there they secure a landing boat. You know that little boat off the side uh, in case you need an emergency? They, they tie that down and the scripture even tells us that they take ropes and they gird the hull of the ship with the ropes. To hold it all together. Quite a storm. Verse 18 says that they are violently storm-tossed. They begin to throw off cargo. And on the third day of seeing no stars or no sun, they throw off the tackle. And after many more days, they throw out their hope of ever being saved. It was a lost cause. Verse 21 they now have been without food for a long time, which makes sense because who wants to eat in a storm like that when you're on a boat? And Paul determines it's time once again to speak up. And he tells them they've made a big mistake by not listening to him. This is the first recorded I told you so in the Bible. He said you should have never left that port. And it's always nice, isn't it, to be reminded when you were wrong? That's why Paul was such a popular guy. And then in verse 22, he gives them a new word of their current situation. Look at this, verse 22. Take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Then look at this. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of, God, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, do not be afraid, Paul, for you must stand before Caesar. And God has granted to you all who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Now we need to run this ship aground on some island and get off of it and get out of here. It's the 14th night, and they have been driven across the Adriatic Sea, and around midnight the sailors thought that they were nearing land and began to panic a bit. They were afraid they would hit rocks. 
They let down some anchors, and as soon as it was daylight, the plan of these sailors was to escape this carnival ride and just get out of there. They wanted to take the attached boat, you know, the life raft. They wanted to take the attached boat. Paul warned that if anyone left the boat here, that they could, would, could not be saved. And so the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it sail out to sea. When daylight did come, these men, these prisoners, soldiers, disgruntled sailors, and the few strays that had been picked up, and Paul, 14 days since they had no food, Paul determines this would be a good time to eat. Timing is everything. He says, let's, let's eat. And so they pull out the bread. I, I always feel like I need to do this. Well, they pull out the bread, right? The ship's rocking. Paul's holding up the bread. I have to be careful because I don't want to make myself sick doing this. Paul's hold, holding up the bread. And the scripture said he gives thanks for the bread and he passes this bread out. There are 276 very hungry men on this boat, and they are eating, and then they determine to lighten the ship by throwing away all the other food that's remaining on the boat. Wow. As daylight came, they saw a bay and a beach, and they aimed for the shore, but the shore hit a reef before it could get to the shore. The soldiers thought they should kill all the prisoners so that the prisoners would not get away. It would have been a great opportunity for escape. But Julius the centurion ordered everyone, get off the boat, swim to shore. If you can't swim, grab something that'll float and use it and get to shore. And they began to escape. And you know, the scripture tells us that not one prisoner escaped. They landed on the island of Malta, where they were shown incredible kindness by the natives there. They wintered there, and then they went on their way, and Paul eventually ended up in Rome. Now, I want you to know one profound... This probably is not the best truth to start with on an installation Sunday, but don't worry. It'll, be, it'll turn out okay. But there's one truth that I want you to know this morning beyond anything else. It's just simply a fact Storms happen in life. Amen? Storms happen in life. And sometimes they can be predicted by the weather, sometimes by the time of year, or the circumstances we find ourselves in, but it's just simply a fact. Storms happen. Storms happen in your life. They happen in, in, in my life. They happen in the lives of others. They happen in whole families. They happen in communities. They happen in churches. They happen in nations. They happen in denominations. Storms happen. And when I read this account in the life of the Apostle Paul, what I want us to know is that not only are storms, are, storms are inevitable, but that perspective in the storm is everything. And there are some important components of perspectives in storms that we all face that I think are really essential for you and me if we're going to live out our calling to be the people of God. The first thing I want you to know in a storm is it really matters to whom you belong. 
I'm sure we've heard the scripture before, but I got to tell you, when I decided, oh, I got to preach that, I was driving somewhere in the 104,000 square miles of Colorado, and I was listening to, uh, it's the uh, Daily Walk podcast, and it gives you scripture and a devotional every day, so you get through the Bible in a whole year, and I'm listening to that, and, and they're going along, and they're talking about this storm, and they're talking about how terrible things all are, and then all of a sudden, I hear, hear them saying, and Paul's talking, and Paul says, and I heard from an angel of the God to whom I belong, and I thought, I love that, that that'll preach. The relationship that you and I have with God makes all the difference in the world in a storm. The sailors and the soldiers and Aristarchus and Julius and the captain, they're this mixed group of people. My guess is they were 276 men with all sorts of beliefs and gods and ideals and principles and goals and skills and hopes and achievements, but none of those things were working. They're not getting anywhere. But in that moment of desperation, when they're trying to determine if this was the end and was it worth it and what's going to be the next step, Paul had this life-changing word, this life-affirming, life-giving word. And the word came from an angel of the God to whom Paul belonged. In the storms of life, I am so glad that I belong to Jesus. You know, I think some of us function a little differently than that. When I was a kid, which was some time ago, I believe, uh, we used to sing this other song, uh, Now I belong to Jesus, Jesus belongs to me. You know, Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Okay, you got the gist of it. I'm not sure about the theology of that song. I think we really like that uh, last part better than the first part. We like, Jesus belongs to me. You know, we like, that's just a good, that's good. It's, it's sort of like we get to keep Jesus with us. Where we, we can put him in our pocket. You know, most anywhere I go, if I ever fall in a heap, you'll know that you will probably find my phone if I'm not preaching. And then you'll find a chapstick, because I believe in chapstick. And uh, if you live up here, you'll all believe in chapstick. A very one sort or another. And I usually have a toothpick, a sundry things, and because Jesus belongs to me, I keep Jesus in my pocket too. And you know, when we have Jesus in our pocket theology, when you need something, boom, you just pull Jesus out. When, they, when, you're, when, when you're in a bind, Boom, you pull Jesus out. Things aren't going your way. Boom, you pull. Now, Judy's not here to defend herself, but at district assembly, she had to run up the mountain, she and my daughter, and it was a big old hailstorm that came down, and it was a torrential pile-em-up kind of hailstorm. And according to my daughter, Judy is screaming at the top of her lungs as they're coming up through the pass, help us, Jesus, help us. <laughs> well, they made it. But you know when you got Jesus up, you just sort of pull him out wherever you need him. But Paul said, Paul said that he belonged to God. 
He was God's. Everything about him was God's. Paul found, Paul even found uh, in, the, in the middle of the storm, he found his authority to speak in the reality that he belonged to God. The God that he belonged to, the God that he worshipped. Now, I don't know about you, but my brothers and sisters in Christ, I am glad that I belong to Jesus. Amen? When I was in Klamath Falls, Oregon, I pastored there about eight and a half, nine years. Klamath Falls is on the high desert of Oregon. It's about 4,000 feet, not near as high as here. Uh, but um, it was snowing a bit one winter, and we had a tradition as a family. Uh, I, usually the girls and I would, would go to the store. I think, it was, uh, I think it was Bill Cosby night. That was before we knew anything more about Bill Cosby. You know, we all watched Bill Cosby, and we always ran to the store, and we would have 50-cent night, and 50-cent night, everybody got 50 cents. Just show how magnanimous I am. As the economy changed, we ended up at $2 night, but we, I know. But the rules changed a little bit. Then you had to find dinner, too, not just a snack. But so, but on 50-cent night, we'd run to the store. Everybody could buy something for 50 cents. So we'd go home and eat it and watch Bill Cosby. And we were going to, uh, we stopped, we went to Grocery Outlet. Because uh, you can always get a good deal at Grocery Outlet. We had our 50 cents. And we, it's just starting to snow when we get in the parking lot. And we walk inside. And, and we're shopping around and trying to figure out the best deal. And the girls are pretty good at, hey, if I buy this and you buy this, then we can share that. You know what I mean? So... There's a lot of work going on. And in the meantime, this snow is like turned into a blizzard. It is just dumping and dumping. We've only been in like 15, maybe 20 minutes at the most. And we get to the cashier to get out. And the snow is like this deep. And now I'm the only car left in the parking lot. And it's just coming down. It's just white everywhere. And I thought, we got to get home, girl. So we bought the candy. And we ran out to the parking lot. And I jumped in the car. And then Abby jumped in the car. And Ariel jumped in the car, and, and we pull off, and I turn on the windshield wipers, because I thought, this will just bleed. God, blow the snow. We'll just get out of here. And I'd got maybe about 10 feet out of that parking lot, and then I heard this. <laughs> now, that is not a flat tire, but there is something definitely wrong with my car. <sighs> the last thing you want to do in a snowstorm is get out and work on your car. So I stopped the car, and I put it in park, and I'm just starting to reach for the handle, and the back door pops open, and it's Ariel, my oldest daughter, about seventh grade. Now, it was snowing, but that's nothing like the storm that wanted to get in my car. She was hot. She was not a happy camper. It seems that I jumped in my side and Abby jumped in her side and Ariel opened the door for her side, but a bunch of coats or books or something was sitting there. So she closed that door and went to the other side. In my mind, I counted one, two, three, hit the gas. I left my daughter in the storm. That's a bad parent. Aren't you glad in Hebrews 13 it tells us that God will never leave us nor forsake us? Even in a snowstorm? It was a very quiet ride home. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> 
I left her in the storm. I am so glad. God never leaves us. I'm so glad that I belong to Jesus. In this scripture, they're dumping out the cargo. You know, the cargo represents their profits. They don't only have the prisoners. You put some other stuff in there that you can sell when you get to the other end. They're dumping their cargo. They're dumping their tackle. The tackle is all the things to keep the boat together. You know, it's the tools. It's the equipment. It's the spare parts. They're throwing all that overboard. And they also throw all the food overboard. They've got nothing on this boat. Nothing is left. And so in the storms, I'm really glad I belong to Jesus. Because sometimes... He's all we've got left. The reality is at some point in the, sto point in the storm, there comes a time when skill and uh, equipment and achievements and none of it matters anymore. It's only going to be Jesus. It matters to whom we belong. Paul knew out of his relationship with God that there'd be no fatalities today because of the storm. And this episode in the life of Paul just causes me to wonder, what would you and I do if we were facing a storm like this? I, there's some of us here who just like to be in control a little bit more than this. We'd like to have Jesus in our pocket. This seems like a good time to call him and pull him out, get him to work. I mean, some of us, you know, if it would... I always think when they think, you know, that it would, I always think of Gilligan and Skipper. You know, and some of us would like to be the Skipper and just keep God in our pocket for when we need him. And we just tell him what to do. Uh, I grew up in a Navy family, and uh, I was, it was going to be clear, at least in my home, I was not going to be the commanding officer. I mean, my dad did that, but I could have been the exo, could have been the executive officer and boss somebody around. But when we belong to God, we take our orders from Him, don't we? we? He's the one who directs us and calls us. I hope that in your life, as in my life, I hope that we are confident that we belong to Him. So that we can speak with confidence in the storm. That we know that God does all things well. Can you live there? Can, can you live with that? There's a second truth in this passage that I want you to know this morning. It comes out of that, that same prayer. It seems to me that the angel tells Paul that there are others whose lives are being affected by Paul's life and his relationship with God. Oh, man, it was bad enough when it was just me, but now... Now we're responsible for other people, too. Paul has no authority in this storm, but his God does. And this event in the life of Paul reminds us that we live this life in the context of other people. That storm impacts every single one of those men, all 276 of them. And there was some sailor on that ship who had a brand new family had a little baby waiting for him at home. He could hardly wait to get there. 
And now we got this storm messing up the works. And there was someone else on that ship. I am confident it was his last voyage. He was ready for retirement. He was going to get Paul, dump him off, pick up whatever they were taking back. And then he was going to be done. And instead now we have this storm that's threatening everything that's going on. You know, life happens all around us, and it doesn't just happen to us. It happens to everyone else around us. And I think some of us live in a bubble, sort of like a toddler saying, what about me? What about me, God? Hey, don't forget me. Don't forget me. Don't forget. But the angel of God said to Paul, God has granted to you all who sail with you. Another translation says this way, God has graciously given the lives of all who sail with you. How often do you and I realize that at any moment in time, God has given us the care of those around us? Perhaps in our homes, Perhaps in our congregation, perhaps they're the people on the bus or the car with you or in the office with you. But at any given moment, work, home, church, ball field, wherever you happen to be, there are folks who are in our boat with us. And we have a responsibility simply out of the relationship we have with the God to whom we belong. The world becomes pretty small when we belong to God. We're no longer in it just by ourselves. When we belong to God, He's the one who determines on our boat. I got to tell you, it took me a long time to write that sentence because I'm not too happy about that. I like to pick who rides in my boat. Some of you all would just be a mint slobs and leave trash and paper on the seats. Some of you would just talk the whole time, and pretty soon I just wished I could jump off the boat. (laughs) Some of you would want to take over and start telling me how to steer the boat. But it's pretty clear we don't get to pick who's in our boat. God does. And then he invites us to care for them. And to live out of our relationship with God in such a way that their lives are made different. You know, I believe that uh, at the beginning of the scripture, that's part of the reason that, uh, that uh, Luke, when he's writing Acts, takes the time to name Julius the centurion. I think that's part of the reason that he tells us there was a guy by the name of Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, on the boat. Because he wanted us to know that all these people matter. That everybody counts. All the people on your boat matter to God. And if we belong to God, they probably need to matter to us. Don't you think? When we belong to God, he determines who's on our boat, who we'll interact with in our lives. And I believe this is the reason Pook takes us to tell us those people's names. You see, everyone has a story. They all have a name 
and their stories and their names matter to God. And so they matter to us, too. The people around you, whether you care for them or not, this event in the life of Paul reminds me that as a servant of God, I best care about them. That uh, we may be in the storm together and God cares about them and Maybe it's simply because we're in the boat, but he might have a purpose beyond even this moment. And I don't think it's too extreme to say God has given all of you into each other's lives who sail for the advancement of the kingdom. To make a difference in your life so that you can make a difference in the lives of someone else. You see, when we belong to God, we know that regardless of what's going on, our God has got this. And he may use us. And he may use us simply by our proximity in the lives of others around us. There's one other truth that I want you to know. In the storms of life, the confidence of belonging to God serves to uh, prepare me for the rest of the journey. See, storms are pretty dramatic and traumatic. You know, think of Judy going up with the hail coming down. She said... Now, she's prone to dramatic flair, but she's telling me you couldn't see anything, that the hails was coming, and I hear it can really get bad, but she said it was just horrific. You know, and uh, they could be pretty, storms can be pretty traumatic. It rained here the other day in Woodland Park, and it ruined the walking trail. <laughs> it ruined my walking trail. Because the storm was so hard, it just washed it away. And they can leave marks on us. Noteworthy events leave marks on us. They, they give us a story to tell. I think recently, well, back a couple months now, they had, we had the tornado in Little Rock. That was important to us because we used to live in Little Rock. And so we're getting reports from friends and, fa and well, family. My daughter lives in North Little Rock. And, and we're hearing on Facebook and text messages and, and finding out all about this tornado and how their lives were affected. And so we start reading up. And some people had real tragedy and other found ways to help other people in the midst of tragedies and storms do that and so when I hear Paul speaking of this acknowledgement of the storm but that there's even more to the journey than the storm it's important for you and I to remember because you see we, we get to be a bit myopic we sort of focus in on right here and this is my storm and I'm going to take good care of it I'm going to make sure it's the best storm there ever was I'm going to write down notes so that I can preach on it someday and it's going to be really good but then this angel of the Lord says to Paul, Paul, you still have to go stand before Caesar. Don't be worrying about this storm. There, there's more to your destination. You still have places to go. You've got people that you're going to go see. Don't be afraid of this one event, this storm, this tough time. God has a plan for you that's going to take you beyond this moment to the destination that he has in mind, and he'll be with you until that's accomplished. I've got things for you to do. See, there are 276 folks who are on this boat, and they're all accomplishing life is, and the reality is that every single one of them has a story that's going on, and there are places for them to go and places for them to be. And God has, God's not finished with any one of them either. None of them will be lost. Now, when you and I belong to God, doesn't mean we're not going to run aground. You definitely ran aground. We're going to lose the ship. There'll be some hard bumps in the reality of life. But 
when we belong to God. I like verse 34. It's become more important to me all the time. Every day I get older, it becomes important to me. It says this, not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. That's an important word. You know, uh, how, you know, when you, when you have a, uh, a bruise or something, you want to put a mark around so you can see if it's receding or expanding. I, they should have put a mark here several years ago so you can see where my hairline used to be. Not a single hair is going to be lost. That was enough encouragement so that Paul takes bread. It's in that context. We got this under control. God's got a plan for us. They take bread, and they're eating it, and they give thanks, and they eat it right in the middle of the storm. Encouraged enough that God's going to take care of them. Encouraged enough that they're going to make it to their final destination. Encouraged enough that they're going together and that everyone's going to make it. Just thinking about it all makes me a bit seasick. We went on this cruise to Hawaii, and uh, I was so excited. It was lobster night. Yes, love lobster night. And so I walk up to the dining room, and it was a Norwegian ship where it's open seating, and usually you can't ever get a good seat. And all of a sudden, I realize, look, Judy, there's a seat right there. And, and it was right by the window. And as I walk across the dining room, all of a sudden, the boat does one of these. And I look out, and I am not kidding. This is not ministerial exaggeration, but there is ocean water flapping up on the windows on the fourth floor of this ship. And I'm thinking, maybe we don't want to sit here. And it's, and it's lobster night. Oh. Out of principle, I ate my lobster. And then, as I walked down, then we, I just held on to the sides of the bed. It was my turn to scream, sweet Jesus, help us. <laughs> the reality is that these men were going to make it to the destination that God had in mind for them. That Paul was going to get to stand before Caesar. And the journey's always better when we belong to God. Even in the rough moments. In the church, we talk about being sanctified. Being sanctified is being set apart for God's use. It's being purified for His own service. Being, being sanctified is, is the work that he's, He does in us so that we are totally His. It's about being changed by the Spirit of God so that we can live a life of victory, that we can be free from the power of sin and free to serve and, and free to live in obedience to God and free to live out His purpose. And it all happens in a moment of our surrender. Our consecration, where we, we give ourselves over. In Romans 12, 1, it says, present your bodies. Give your bodies over a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, there's this thing called consecration, goes right along with sanctification, where we give our whole selves over to God so that He has all of us, so that we belong to him you know it's sort of that whole deal you remember when when you hear about you talk about salvation how we get jesus and in sanctification he gets all of us 
We surrender to him. We give it over to him. We belong to him. And maybe some of us balk against that saying such things because we really don't all belong to him. There's some parts that we like to keep from him. We want to hold on to that and be in charge of this one little part. And it may be a whole big part. But you see, in the storms, we belong to him. He'll take care of us. In, regarding other people, we belong to him. Our destination, whatever he has before us tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day, maybe even standing before Caesar, we belong to him. And I want you to be assured there is incredible peace and joy when we know we belong to him. That he's got this. And maybe better put, he's got us. And I can't think of a better place to be. Can you? So much so that we can even give thanks and eat during the storm. For me, I want the kind of relationship where I know that I belong to him, where the transaction has been made and he's been given the lordship of my life so that he can be the one in charge. He can be the one calling the shots. See, I really believe that we can have and we can live in that confidence. And for me, it's important to live out that relationship knowing that uh, the lives of others are being impacted by my relationship with God, knowing that the steps that I take in this day are being impacted by my relationship with God and that He's enough regardless of the circumstances. In the Old Testament, this isn't just a New Testament idea. In the Old Testament... Uh, there's a word of the Lord from Isaiah chapter 43, 1 through 4. See if you can hear the theme in these words. It says this, Thus says the Lord who created you, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, your Savior. And you are precious in my eyes and honored. And I love you with confidence. May you and I be able to say in the storms of life. And maybe it's a storm you're in today. But may we be able to say the God to whom I belong. Amen? I know we're going to sing a closing, but before they come, why don't we just bow our heads for a word of prayer? Can we just make this a prayer of surrender this morning? It's a great way to start a new relationship with a pastor in church, surrendered. Recommitting, or maybe for the first time committing, to belonging entirely to him. 
I've come to learn that when I surrender everything to Him, He has some things to say about my life. Some are simple and some are not. But in each and every one of them, He is more than able. Father, thank you for these, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for the privilege we have to journey together with you. Thank you that you are more than able in every storm. You know, I just wondered this morning as I wrap this up, if there's anyone just by raising your hand would just say, you know, Pastor, would you pray for me? Uh, I, I need to give some things to God. I want to belong to Him so that I'm totally His. Would you pray for me this morning? Is there anyone like that? Count it a real privilege to pray for you. Thank you. Anyone else? Any others? Thank you. I just have some thank yous. I have some things I need to give to him. I'm finding out maybe I'm the captain instead of the crew. Anyone else? Lord, hear the prayers of your people. And we don't know what all the circumstances are, but with each hand raised, there's a heart that's yielding to you to be fully in control. We give ourselves completely so that we might be filled completely with your spirit. Do a new work in each of our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Askren. You guys are loading up. Yeah. Um, I was going to say a blessing, but I won't do that until after the band comes up. So I have no business standing here in front of you right now is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) So I apologize. Would you stand as we sing one? Don't forget the th- 
bless you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you. And if you belong to him, I promise he will give you something that nothing else can give you. Not money, not things, not even someone else that you love dearly. God, our Father, promises to give you His peace. So may God bless you as you go. You are invited to stay and eat with us. We're going to assemble over here, and I think Cindy's got some... Oh, Cindy's going to be right here behind me. And she's got some instructions for us. But go ahead and crank the lights for us so we can smile at one another before we go. Hope you stay and have lunch with us. If not... Um, I hope to see you next Sunday, but God bless you. Yes, I I want you all to stay. There'll be plenty of food. Uh, Jim's going to be in charge of moving the tables and getting all the chairs around the tables. That'll take us a few minutes. I always see the women putting out the food, so that's great. Please stay and and enjoy. Uh, how do Nazarenes celebrate? Eating, and that's what we're going to do. <laughs>